this week with the series that follows our companion book, The 52 Greatest Stories of the Bible. Uh, last time Pastor Lisa spoke, we saw the conversion of Paul, who will go on to become the apostle to the Gentiles. And today's story continues along on a similar note in Acts chapter 10 with the lifting of the Jewish ceremonial laws about clean and unclean foods and the first conversion of a Gentile man and his family to the Christian church. But before we get into scripture, I want to ask you guys a question. In pastor school, they call this building up the anticipation. Helps you guys stay awake for the rest of the sermon if you haven't had your coffee yet. So here we go. How many of you guys have had this happen? You are in a discussion with someone who isn't a believer. Hear me breathing. You're in a discussion with someone who isn't a believer, and the topic comes over to something that you as a Christian, you have an opinion on. You think that this thing is morally wrong, and so you say so. And your friend who isn't a believer is like, well, why, why would you say that that thing's wrong? So you, being a, a good Christian, you say, well, my Bible says so. And so they say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible also have all of these kooky laws in it in the Old Testament, like you can't eat shrimp and you can't wear clothes with two different fabrics, which I'm doing right now? So how come you Christians will condemn some of these other things while you're breaking all of those laws in the Old Testament? Show of hands, have you, have you guys had that happen to you? Is it just me? You know somebody who's had that happen? Okay, good. Making sure. And so we have this typical response that we give, right? Those laws don't apply to believers today. But afterwards, if you're like me, you still feel like you lost a point in the discussion because maybe we don't confidently know what those laws were about. And so we're actually going to get into that a little bit today because it's important for the context of this story. Actually, a rabbit trail. I just had that happen last week on, on Facebook. Somebody posted this cute little flow chart that was like, why, as a Christian, you're wrong if you think homosexuality is a sin? And so you go on the flow chart, and it's like, so pick, pick your reason why you believe this is a sin, and you're looking through the options like, ah, my Bible says so. And I go down the flow chart to learn why I'm wrong. And the response is, oh, well, the, the Bible also says that, you know, you can't eat pig and you can't plant two different kinds of crop in the same field. So if you believe this, then you're just a uh, hypocritical bigot. I tell you, I, I doggone near typed this entire sermon into the little comment box. But I refrained. Don't worry about it. I restrained myself. I have bad theology on Facebook. It's one of my pet peeves. So we'll, uh, we'll do some good theology we're going to get into scripture. That's where good theology is. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. That's the first part of our story. I believe it'll be up there. All right. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was the captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some man, men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. 
As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up into heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. So that's the first part of our story. And so this is kind of interesting. So Peter is up on the roof in prayer. That part's pretty normal. In Middle Eastern houses, the roof is like an extra room. So he goes up on the roof to pray, and the sheet comes down with all sorts of animals. And from his response, we know that the animals include things that in Jewish ceremonial law, he's not supposed to eat. But God is saying, and eat. This happens three times, which we know from past stories that when something happens three times, it's for emphasis. It says what's going on is important. So... Why is God suddenly telling Peter that it's okay to eat unclean foods? After all, the unclean food laws are part of Scripture. They're given in Leviticus. And in Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus says, Don't think I've come to abolish the law. I tell you truly, not even the smallest part of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So in order to going on, understand what's going on with this vision, uh, it seems like we need to know Uh, what the original purpose of these food laws was. Because it seems like what's going on with this vision is that now suddenly God is saying, hey, that purpose is achieved. So some have said that the unclean food laws are probably because uh, some of these animals could be dangerous or unhealthy to eat if not prepared correctly. And that's true to an extent. Uh, But it doesn't quite seem to fit here because if the purpose of the food laws was that some of the animals are unhealthy, well, they're, they're unhealthy before Peter goes up on the roof, and they're probably still unhealthy after Peter goes up on the roof. So it seems like there's something deeper going on here. And it turns out that there's something interesting. Uh, so there are two major reasons why an animal might be considered unclean to eat for the Jews. So the first is if it has anything to do with death. So in Jewish ceremonial life, you touch something that's dead, you're considered unclean. But also the animals that eat the dead, so that's predators and scavengers, they're also considered unclean. You can't eat them. That is also, by the way, why pigs are considered unclean. That's one of the famous examples. Pigs will eat pretty much anything. We raise pigs in Swatera. I can tell, I can confirm that. If it falls into the pig pen and it can't fight back, they can eat it. So anything to do with death, that's the first one. The other has to do with how animals are classified. So in our modern biology, we have this big classification system where if you want to classify an animal, maybe you guys remember this from high school, it's going to be in one of three domains, six kingdoms, all sorts of different phyla, order, genus, class, species. So we have a massive classification system. 
in the ancient classification system is much easier. They had three. If it flies, it's an air critter. If it swims, it's a water critter. If it walks on land, it's a land critter. Much easier. I kind of wish we had kept it that way. I would have done a lot better in high school biology. Teacher would have been like, classify this animal, and I could say, well, it's got wings, so I'm going to reckon that that there's an air critter. A plus. Much easier that way. But not every animal fits neatly into one of the three categories that they had. Some animals uh, blur the line between two categories. So for example, uh, frogs and turtles. They live, they're amphibious. They live in the water and on land. They blur the line between those two categories. Uh, ducks and swans, they fly, but they have web feet, spend most of their time in the water. They blur the line between water and air. It turns out that all of these creatures that don't fit into one distinct category, they're all unclean. So the unclean food laws, one, if it has anything to do with death, and two, if it doesn't fit into one of the three distinct categories, they're all unclean. So that second reason, it has to do with separation and distinctness. The Hebrew people were called to be a holy and set-apart people. The word holy means set apart for a special purpose. So many of these unusual Old Testament laws that you see, they're reminders to the Jewish people of that holy status. Uh, that's why Israelites couldn't wear garments that have two different kinds of fabric. They have to have one kind of fabric. They're holy. They're set apart. They don't mix. That is why Jewish people can't marry someone who's not Jewish. That is why they have to have one kind of crop per each field. Their crops don't mix. They don't mix. God has designed an Israelite's life so that every day he's reminded over and over about his status as one of the holy and set-apart people. When he rolls out and puts on his pajamas that are all one kind of fabric, I don't know why I keep gesturing to my coat because this is two different kinds of fabric. I'm breaking the law. And go, he goes into the kitchen and eats his breakfast that includes only meat from animals from one of the three distinct categories, and he kisses his Hebrew wife on the cheek and goes out to work in his field where all the crops are divided by field. These are all reminders for him every day about his purpose over and over again. And what is the special purpose? Why, are, why is Israel the chosen nation? Why is it set apart and given such a distinct identity? Because it's through them that Jesus is to be revealed to the world. That was the promise given to Abraham. From him comes the promised one. So with this context, uh, the first part of our passage uh, makes a lot more sense. If we're trying to figure out what it was about those laws that's been fulfilled, uh, if the reason for the unclean food laws are first that they're symbolic and they have to do with these two things, death and holy set-apartness, and the holy set-apartness is part of Israel's purpose for revealing Christ to the world, we can see why they would be declared fulfilled at this time because this is after Pentecost that Peter goes up to the roof. So this is after the cross. Death has been defeated. Of course we wouldn't fear it anymore. Jesus defeated death on the cross, and he has already come, fulfilled the prophecies, and then ascended to heaven. So Israel's role in, in revealing Christ has been fulfilled. That baton is now passed to the church. So if death has been defeated and Christ has been revealed, the purposes for those laws originally, the ceremonial laws, has now been completed, and that is why God seems to be lifting them in this passage. And of course, if the separation laws for Israel have been lifted, that means that the church can now include Gentiles for the first time, where before that was very difficult. 
So this is where we can get back into our story. Uh, Peter has just had this vision, and while he's up there puzzling what it means, uh, Cornelius' men come knocking at the door, and they tell him that Cornelius has also had a vision and requests Peter's presence. And so Peter goes, and he's invited inside, and Cornelius starts telling him about this vision, and that's where we pick up again in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 34. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly now that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. You know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us who God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For Gentiles. One thing that immediately jumped out at me as I was preparing the sermon was there's a similarity between what happens in this passage and something that I experienced on the mission field. Uh, so one of the things that I got to be a part of in China was an international Bible study with other international students on campus, uh, which included uh, students from all over Asia and parts of Africa. And we had this particular student named Kim. Uh, he was a, a very strong believer in Christ from Cambodia. And now Cambodia is one of the many countries in Asia where Buddhism is the official state religion. Christianity is legal there, but it's very uncommon. And so there was one night where Kim brought another student to the Bible study. She was also from Cambodia. Her name was Sremon. And so she had been a Buddhist from a Buddhist family, from a Buddhist nation. She had never before heard of Christianity at all. She had never heard the name Jesus. And then she comes over to study abroad in China, which is extremely atheist. And one night she is studying, she goes to sleep, and has this very vivid dream where she describes seeing a man in blazing white robes with a hole in either of his wrists. And this man in the dream tells her, Tomorrow, you're going to meet a man wearing this symbol around his neck, and I want you to listen to what he says. So the next day, she gets up. She's walking across campus, class, and she runs into Kim, who happens to be wearing his cross necklace that day. Now, she remembers this weird dream she has and says, hey, what does that mean? And so Kim, who's also Cambodian, takes this opportunity to share the gospel with her in the Cambodian language, and then and there, she gives her life to Christ. 
she comes she starts coming to our bible study and after a few weeks of learning the basics i encouraged her to reach back out to her parents who are in cambodia and just tell them about her experience and her decision you can imagine that that would be kind of an awkward phone call, like, uh, oh, hey, mom, I, uh, I had a vision of God, and he told me to abandon our family's religion and our country's religion, and so that's, uh, that's what I did. Hope you and dad are well. But she was willing to do that, and so her parents, of course, are like, they want to know what their daughter just got into. And so the next Sunday, they get up at the break of dawn and bike the 20 miles to the nearest Cambodian village that has a Christian church where they then hear the gospel in the Cambodian language and they also give their lives to Christ. So just like we saw in our story here, the Holy Spirit gives a vision directing someone to someone who can give them the gospel. They believe and then their entire family believes with them. The Holy Spirit uh, works the same today as he always has. And since we're a Pentecostal church, that should get an amen from somebody. Amen? Okay. Actually, uh, that is not a very uncommon story. I've gotten to meet a lot of missionaries over the last few years, and almost all of them have a story like that. And one thing that they all have in common, a common thread between them that I've noticed is when the Holy Spirit appears to somebody... He never shares the gospel himself directly. Like in our story today, Cornelius' vision didn't tell Cornelius everything he needed to know about how to be saved right then and there. The vision told Cornelius to go to Peter. Sraymon's vision told her to go to Kim. Uh, that's the way it always seems to work, is God wants to partner with us to reach the world. So the last thing that I want to do, and then we're going to wrap up, so I'll try to go through this pretty quickly. I want to take a moment... And try to place yourself in Peter's shoes or in Kim's shoes. Imagine that you're walking out the door today and you're approached by somebody. Maybe you don't know them. Maybe they're even from another religion. And they come up to you and they're like, hey, uh, I just had this vision from God. And he told me that you can tell me what I need to do to be saved. If that were to happen, do you know, kind of off the top of your head, what you would say in response? You just, oh, some people are nodding. That's good. I feel like uh, some people just, uh, when they're put on the spot like that, they lock up and they're like, oh, man, I, I know the gospel, but I've never, like, shared it like that before. Some start just rambling on and reading the entire Bible to you. I found that even among people who go to the missions field, just being able to teach very quickly the essential points of the gospel. It's not something that we're taught in church very much. We're taught the gospel in church. We're just not shown how to share it easily. So I wanted to share with you quickly uh, what I do when I'm given the opportunity to give a gospel presentation. Um, instead of trying to memorize the whole outline, I just remember four words, four key points that I know I need to get to with whatever I'm saying so that I'm not just going on and on. Um, the four points are creation, fall, Jesus, and response. Creation, fall, Jesus, response. So my, my actual giving of the gospel outline might change, but I'll always hit those four points. And so it's going to look a little like this. Someone asked me, so what do you Christians believe? And I say, All right, we Christians, we believe this. Creation. God created the world and everything in it. When he created it, it was good. 
God created man in his own image because he wanted to have a loving relationship with man. Fall. In order for there to be a loving relationship, God had to give man the freedom to not love because love isn't real if it's forced. Man abused that freedom, knowingly and willingly rejecting God and performing evil. Because God had given man spiritual authority over the whole earth, when man fell into evil, creation was cursed along with him, and death and disease entered the world. Jesus. But God didn't want to leave humanity in that state because he loved us. But because he is just, he had to punish us, and that punishment had to be death and separation from him. So in order to save us from that, God entered the world as a man named Jesus Christ. He allowed himself to be crucified on a cross in order to take our punishment. And as a proof that all of this was true, three days later, he rose again from the dead. Response. Now anyone can be saved and restored to their proper relationship with God through Jesus. All you have to do is respond. And that response is to repent and believe. Turn away from your sins and follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and you will receive forgiveness and eternal life. So creation, fall, Jesus response. It can be really, really quick. You don't have to say exactly what I just said, but the four points give you at least an outline of what to talk about if you're ever put on the spot. So, yeah, I believe that uh, being able to share the gospel is a very important skill for us to master because we are rapidly entering an age in our country where the gospel is just not commonly going to be known. Uh, so we are, it's going to fall to us as the church to be willing vessels for the Holy Spirit as he continues his work in reconciling the entire world to Christ. Uh, just as he worked through Peter in this week's story, which absolutely qualifies as one of the 52 greatest stories in the Bible. I'm going to close this in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, just... Thank you for this beautiful morning for us to come together on. I thank you for this congregation that's so willing to seek you in your word. And most of all, Father, I thank you for you. Um, You are the God who came down to us out of love and sought us out. And it is an honor and a privilege for us to be able to have a part in expanding your kingdom. Um, I pray that everyone in this room just gets a chance this week to be a part of bringing this world to you because father you are the only just and loving king Uh, i ask that you go with us as we walk out the door today and that your blessing rest on every member of the church father in the mighty name of jesus christ i pray amen it is my understanding that prayer will be available after the service but other than that i believe we are adjourned